Hello, everybody, and welcome again to Wednesday Night Live. My name is Ron Crawford. I'm the pastor of the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. It's a great blessing to reach out on this beautiful Wednesday to not only my congregation here in Dallas and the those who are part of this congregation in many other locations, but also to our Saints Network family. We are very grateful today that we're in the in the plan of the Lord. Uh, I'm so grateful my daughter Katie forwarded a uh, a clip from a tour guide that she follows who's based in Paris, Texas, not Paris, Texas. <laughs> there is a Paris, Texas. Can you imagine being a tour guide of Paris, Texas? When I was a youth pastor, I took my uh, my boys' softball team up to a tournament in Paris, Texas, and they have this teeny little Eiffel Tower there. It looks more like an oil derrick. But this woman is a tour guide in, in Paris, France, and she was in a restaurant in uh, the 17th Eredosment, and the, the restaurants are open now for uh, Parisians to go and have breakfast or lunch. And so she was showing this, and it was just refreshing to me. There was such a, an excitement there. So we, we are very grateful that across the world, we can see that the, uh, the restrictions that have really bogged us down from travel throughout this past year and a half are now being lifted to some degree, to some degree. It's not all the way over, but to some degree. And we're looking forward to being able to go and be with the saints and encourage and train disciples and welcome people into the great army that God is preparing. And so um, I'm, I'm so thankful that the Lord has used this time over this past year to do a lot of work in us, to get us to some degree prepared and ready. And uh, we, we pray that we will be absolutely ready to respond when he says, all right, do it. We don't, you don't want to get ahead of things. This is where a lot of Christians miss it. They, they, they exchange faith for presumption. And that happened a lot of times in the Old Testament where God would make a promise and a king would go ahead of what God said to do. And it, it was not very favorable for that person. In fact, the promise, the prophetic promise was then lost. So we want to be careful that we, that we follow exactly when God says to do something. And um, we will do our best to do that. But I was blessed by that today. This past Sunday morning, um, one of our dear members, C.C. Collins, taught in our Sunday school class. And one of the main things that she addressed was the life of Job. 
And I was blessed by that, as I'm blessed by all the teachers that come in and and bring words from the Lord. We don't follow a quarterly. We expect folks to go before God and get a word and teach on it. And that's developed lay leaders and lay ministers in a way that nothing else would have been able to do. I remember when I became pastor here, and even when I was growing up in church, the people who taught were individuals who were either on staff at a church or who had been designated to teach out of a quarterly. Those were good things. I'm not demeaning them. But primarily then, those were the teachers. And there wasn't really any avenue for other individuals to go beyond that written diatribe from headquarters or from some other publishing house. And it was good, but to a large degree, it was limiting. And so I'm very grateful now that across our Saints Network, we have scores of people who love the Lord, who know how to keep rank and stay in line with the authority structure, um, who can teach and who can bring the word, fresh word from God. Now, why do I say stay in the authority structure? Because that's one of the reasons why a lot of times pastors, when I was being trained or when I first began in ministry, didn't want people in their church to, to either prophesy or to have too much ability to lead a group because then they would be many times at odds with the pastor or would then get the big head and say, well, look, these people are following me. I'm going to take them out. And we're, we're going to have our own thing. I'm finally going to have my own ministry. So I can understand why there was the tendency to restrict that. But the problem with that is that that can soon become control. And you want a balance. You want a balance. And um, so I'm very grateful with what God is doing here in this church as well as in the various outposts of the saints where we encourage individuals to get into the Word, not just be parroting somebody else's teaching, but to to get into the Word and find what God is saying. And that, that only strengthens the body. Of course, then when I say that, people say, well, you don't want us studying anybody else. Look, I never said that. I study every day. And the issue is that so many of the teachings that are out there are so persuasive and they're put together with such, such great um, ability to, to uh, lead people in a certain way. And what I see is a lot of the things that are there, I'm not saying they're, they're not, that I, 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 what I, let me just say this, a lot of their precepts are not scriptural even those that are based in the scripture they they have an angle and i think whoa 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 you're saying this this is not scriptural i'm not saying that it's not that it's against what we as saints believe i'm not saying that it's against tradition i'm not saying those things i'm saying that if it's not scriptural even though people sometimes teach things that are ensconced in scripture 
uh, so many saints are, are just ignorant of that and they swallow it all and before you know it, they're gone. So you have to be careful. But my point is, God wants you to be developing your relationship with him and you're going to need to stand. And I don't advocate that people just parrot what I say. I look more at our burgeoning network as saying, look, these are things that God is saying to us. You should be apprised of this so that we're eating the same spiritual pneumaticos meat. But I'm not saying, you know, you teach our stuff and that alone. What I'm saying is you be aware and you study for yourself. But then some folks who have who have accused us of being restrictive have gone the other route and they totally reject what the saints are doing and swallow hook, line, and sinker things that many of them are borderline doctrines of demons. So it's a tricky subject, but the point for the saints is that we just, we want to walk together before the Lord and we want to be apprised, we want to be aware, but we, we also want to make sure that we know what God has been delivering to brothers and sisters who are called to the same type of calling, that being a saintly walk as intercessors, as sons. And, you know, sometimes I hear things from extended friends or even family and it's always, oh, did you hear what this preacher's preaching? Oh, did you hear what this preacher's preaching? And it kind of reminds me when I was growing up as a boy, my mother would always talk about what some other kid was doing. He'd say, oh, this boy down the street. Oh, how great he is. And, and I'm thinking, after a while, I'd say, well, you've got your own son sitting here at the table. <laughs> or sometimes as a pastor, I would call home and my mom would tell me about what all these other ministries and what these churches were doing. And I'm thinking, do you really, do you really think that's what we should be talking about when you, when you want to be a little more concerned about what your own son is doing? And I'm not faulting my mother. I'm just saying that there's a tendency of Christians to often just become enamored with every wind of doctrine and it blows them about and the key point is that we become grounded and we become absolutely secure in what we know God has called us to be and then we gauge things from scripture based upon that and I, I just don't know why God led me down this pathway, but I do say that I was blessed by the teaching this past Sunday, as I am by everybody who teaches in there. Because you run the risk of complimenting one, and then people get a... Uh, they say, well, you don't ever compliment me. Well, you know, that's it. So we're, we're in Job today, and I wanted to talk about this from a perspective that maybe we've not discussed. Job is a really curious book. Um, 
Many argue that it is the oldest written scripture. When did Job live? I would imagine that he lived during the time of Abraham. I would imagine that or around that time. I don't know. I haven't seen his driver's license. But, you know, the issue is, is that Job really patterns a lot of things in the spirit realm that we need to be aware of. One of the things that we're not talking about today is this council of the sons of Elohim. I'm going to be doing extended teachings about this and a number of other things in the spirit realm within the next few months. Today is not that day. But there are a lot of people, there's a lot of disinformation, and there's, there's a lot of ways the enemy is trying to stir up confusion regarding what actually is biblically a part of a descriptive of the spirit realm. And so I see this. We are going to address it in a deeper way. We have talked about it to some degree in the past, but um, that's not our message for today. First thing about Job is that his name is, is quite important because it means to be hated. <laughs> Anytime you're taking a stand for the Lord, you cannot expect to be applauded by everybody. Jesus said, if they hated me, they'll hate you. It's not that you go out looking for that, but just your stand of righteousness marks you in this world, and it's becoming increasingly that way. One of the things that I think for any movement of, of the Spirit of God in, in recent history, it begins by people accepting a distinction uh, on behalf of what God is asking them to do or what he's given them. And that distinction is initially rejected. And that those people that particularly the Pentecostal movement you're outcasts you got the left foot of fellowship from every respectable denomination and then you're just there you're despised it's like that term in Isaiah 28 where with stammering lip and an unknown tongue I'll speak to this people stammering means to be mocked and it it that word stood alone before it was finally attached to people who stuttered. It, it did not originate with people who stuttered. It was a word that meant to stand out and to be mocked. And so God says initially in Isaiah 28, if when I begin to move among people, you've got to be willing to be rejected. It's not that you try to be that. Some people try to be that. It's their calling card. But you, you've got to be, to be willing to say, I'm going to do this. And as the old song said, though none go with me, yet I will follow. But then those movements want to become respectable. 
they start having people come because it's it's a good thing there's blessing it's kind of like people that move from chaotic states in our country to states that have stood for conservatism because the chaotic states are falling apart and then they come into the place that's being blessed and then they start voting in the same way that they did when they empowered the chaotic government. That's what happens in movements of the spirit. And then you want to become respectable and then you try to find ways to manage the move of the spirit while you still talk about having the move of the spirit. And we've seen this over and over again. And then you become a white and sepulcher. And you you say you have the move of the spirit. And the only thing you can do is sing about the old time power. What about the new time power? What about what God's doing today? So Job means to be hated. You can look it up for yourself. To be an enemy almost. It doesn't mean that he was antagonistic. It means that his blessing prompted individuals who were not walking with God to detest him. And I'm not making a, this is really isn't our main theme for today, but it's something that needs to be seen. So, in the first two chapters of Job, you have this strange telling of what goes on in heaven. And the enemy comes up there, and God says, Have you considered my servant that is detested by everybody? And the enemy says, well, you know, why would I consider him? Because he's blessed. He's, uh, you put a hedge around him and he is living in tremendous favor. So the enemy initially detests the hedging around Job. How did that come? Was it a favored nation status? Was it, you know, God's going to treat this guy well? God is no respecter of persons, but everybody else can go somewhere, um, make do on their own? No, we've studied about the hedge, and we've studied about the protection of the Lord. And we stand in the gap. We make up the hedge. That's the tabernacle of David. That's who God searches for. And then when we do that in Peretz fashion, God gives us blessing and breakthrough. It's a principle. You know, where there are people who are secure, a prosperity will come. Now, whether you cherish that prosperity and whether you recognize why it's there, if you start tearing it down, that prosperity will go away. But the enemy targeted the, the blessed status of Job that was really inherent to his partnership with God. It wasn't that God just said, I'm going to bless this guy and everybody else is, is on their own. And I think we need to see this. Job didn't get where he was simply because... He was born on a bright sunny day and God said, I like this guy. I'm going to just make his life good. That hedge that the enemy looked at 
was something that irritated the enemy. Why? Because in the study of the hedge through the scripture, the enemy doesn't like the hedge. He wants to be able to break through. You know, I, my, I have a fence in my huge backyard. And every now and then, I'll see that a, a, uh, a part of the fence, some of the wood slats, has been pushed out. Or, or there's an access point. And that's because raccoons or um, usually raccoons, um, possums, you know, they, they want to get into that yard. And so they want to break the hedge. And then you get all kinds of crazy stuff. You get fleas, you get droppings, you get holes burrowed in the ground. And you get garbage that's, you know strewn about that somehow those raccoons are, they can get into the, the trash can and it, it's it's not a good thing so you have to go and hammer or screw in those places to keep the hedge intact the enemy likes to have access he wants to go and come to the to and fro it's, it's, it's a funny thing I'm going to and fro but this hedge I don't like it because I can't go to and fro through him and it, it's a partnership to stand in Peretz. It's a partnership to, to stand in the gap with God. It's a partnership with God, and it, it welcomes his blessing. The partnership is the main blessing, and the security of being established is a blessing. But then through that, you also then bring increase. That's a biblical principle. And so the enemy notes that. And he says that if that wasn't there, and you, you can read it for yourself. I'm, this is not my main thing. You can read these two chapters very easily. But he basically says, if you, if you cause, allow me to get through that hedge, um, and to do something against his family, to do something against the work of his hands and his substance, then it says that he will curse you to your face. And then you read this outrageous story about Job's children and the oxen being killed. And then... Um, Job continues to seek God. Verse 22 of, verse, of chapter 1. In all this, Job did not sin nor charged God foolishly. So the enemy comes back. And he says, um, God says, have you... Um, let's read uh, chapter 2, beginning at verse 3. The Lord said unto Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that fears God and escheweth evil? And still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest against him, move, moves me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord, saying, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. Put forth your hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. 
Behold, God said, he is in your hand, but save his life. Now, I touched on this just a bit on Sunday, but the other thing, just in reference, just in passing reference, but the other thing that, the, that Satan didn't like was how God not only blessed Job, but promoted him. And Satan says that Job will curse God to his face or to his ways, penim. And the, the, the odd uh, descriptive that's translated as curse comes from Barach to kneel before God or a leader to receive a recognition and promotion. It's, it's a merited promotion. That's what kneeling represents before God in the scripture. Barak means that. But Job would do that, obviously, before God. I'm sure that he was also on his face, too. I'm sure that there were lots of interactions but the thing that Satan doesn't like is, first of all, the hedge, but secondly, this kneeling before God for promotion. And here, as well as in another place we're going to talk about in Job, there is a prefix, a negative prefix to Barak. And basically, Satan said, if you, if you do this to him, if you let him suffer, both in chapter 1 and chapter 2, he will either not kneel before you anymore in order to participate in your ways, or he will be in that position and he will, instead of submitting, he will bring some measure of disdain. So the two things that the enemy doesn't like in this passage are the fact that this person is willing to partner with God and to take a stand on behalf of what these things God says. Uh, he is a, a perfect and upright man, fearing God and eschewing the, the raw. And you're, you're partnering with God. And because you're partnering, there's blessing. And in your relationship with God, it doesn't mean that every time you kneel, God's promoting you. It's that when God brings you to that point of promotion, you're in that kneeling position and you go forth in a transition of, of a new dimension of authority. Satan doesn't like that and he mocks it in, in conjunction with partnering with the ways of God. So here you have a tangible blessing by a guy whose name means being hated. And you you have you have Job standing faithfully in the gap and you have then um, Satan not liking that. And then you have Satan then bringing up the fact that God promotes him. This is neither here nor there. But if you study out the, uh, the name Job, in the, in the Hebrew lexicons, the very, next, the very next descriptive is Jezebel. So, and again, it's just something interesting. I'm not trying to make a doctrine out of it.
but you will either stand for the Lord and be 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 a representative of him in this world being willing to be hated for that blessed walk or you can take the next avenue and be a virgin unto Baal and you can go along to get along and you can dance with whoever whatever the world brings you and you can serve that being that is a fallen one who um who really tries to manage and manipulate the deposits of the glory and the Hestemis around the world. But that's just an interesting thing. I'm not making a doctrine of it, but you'll see that. So you have this, this thing going on, and even later on, Job's wife, when she says, how long are you going to tolerate this? curse God and die. She uses that same negative prefix and then Barak. How long are you going to trust this partnership with God? This wasn't, you know, I'm going to tell God off. In fact, there is a passage in Job that says Job cursed the day. He did not use this term. He used a term in the word curse that would be dismissive. That would be it's, that word is often used to describe something that's here and is quickly gone. And really, what it's saying is that Job looked at the day, whatever he was facing, and recognized that as much as he didn't like it, it's going to go away quickly. And that's a kind of curse, to some degree. That you know, I would say, you know, for the joy set before you, you endure. And you, you want it to move quickly. You want it to get done. Okay, here it is. We're just going to deal with it. And that's a way of getting through life. I mean, we think, oh, it's just been 15 months now. We've been suffering with this. How long, oh Lord? You know, that's a snap of the finger. I don't like it. It seems like forever. But in eternity, it's nothing. You've got to, you've got to base your life on eternity and on your foundational covenant with God instead of on the things that happen to you day to day. And when Job cursed the day, he was saying, I don't like what's going on. This too shall pass. Get it, get it over with quickly. And Jesus said to, to Judas, different word I know is in the Greek in the New Testament, that which thou doest, do quickly. <laughs> Did you ever think about that? Man, if somebody, and we've been betrayed before, believe me, and in a number of ways, um, but how often we don't want that to pass, we want the act to pass quickly, but we hold on to it. Jesus said, that which you do, do quickly. And this deal with with Job was that he never went to the point. He had questions. I'm sure any of us would. I I had questions this past year when things happened to me. And and I, I remember many times being just alone with God in the night, just thinking, why? I'm not 
disputing God, but I didn't understand. Have you had times like that? But the one thing that I never did, and you should never do, is to abandon the foundational principles of partnering with God, standing in the gap that he places you in, being willing to be despised for it, even to the degree that your name would reflect that, being uh, in commune with God and submitting yourself in kneeling to his ways and being willing to partner with him in his ways and to receive that promotion that's commensurate with God seeing your heart and knowing that you'll represent him. Job did not vary there. And it's it, you see the enemy here. He didn't like any of that. And that was what he touched. Now, there's another thing that God mentions that I think we should see. And it goes in line with this this viewing things from an eternal perspective. And that is that in verse 3 of chapter 2, still Job holds fast his integrity. Integrity is what this message is entitled. And we've said things that, you know, success doesn't reveal integrity, that challenges reveal integrity, who you are inside, who you are as a person, what's most important to you, what you will be when you're around people or when you're alone, when nobody sees, what you will be at the podium or the pulpit are you that same person in your house, in front of your kids, your grandkids, your spouse? Uh, are you on Sundays one person, but at work another person? Um, do you really live, and better said, are you really the person that you proclaim yourself to be? That, in essence, is integrity. But the word here, translated as integrity, is a Hebrew word that means that until the very last second, until the very last drop, until the very last moment of whatever it is you are doing, you remain constant. And you remain that same person. I think that's amazing. In fact, there are some who suggest, I don't know who those people are. What do you mean those people? There are some who suggest that the, the name Tom comes from this. So there you go, Teresa. You can tell your brother that he's a man of integrity. But integrity for God is that if you're this person now, are you still going to be this person after the, the battle or during the battle? Are you going to remain constant? Is that, it's a quality of patience 
It's a quality of perspective and it is a quality of perseverance in God. And that is really what God says because I've known people who are upright, who have given themselves, given it the old college try to do the work of the Lord, who say they don't like raw, who really do their best to uphold Tob. But after a while, they just say, I've had it. How long, O Lord? Job's friends came and said, what's wrong with you? Job's comforters. And they tried to hammer away at this. They, they tried to, to slam it. And they, they tried to, um, to really make it as something that um, was not a favorable position. And that's, that's a shame. I mean, that's, that's just a... Uh, you, you don't need friends who come and really go after who you are as a person. You know, you, you, don't, you don't need that. In fact, let's just do this. I didn't give you a teaching sheet because you could all look at this. Um, the word translated as integrity is only used five times in the Old Testament. Uh, four of them in Job, one in Proverbs. And the first one is... In this passage, Job 2, God says that he holds fast his integrity. The second one, his wife, who encourages him to curse God, uh, he, she says, do you still retain your integrity? How, In other words, how long are you going to keep this up? The third, um, God forbid, in chapter 27, verse 5, God forbid that I should justify you till I die. I will not remove my integrity from me. That's quite a statement. Um, Job 31, verse... Um, let's see, where is that? I'm, I'm looking here in this darkened booth. Verse 6. Um, Let me be weighed in an even balance that God may know my integrity. All of this is... Not some flowery descriptive, but it's really saying, that's like the old Maxwell House coffee commercial, good to the last drop. And then the final one is in Proverbs. The integrity of the upright, Proverbs 11.3, will guide them. That is really an interesting thing. Um, I... I I want to be guided by the Lord. Don't you? I want to be the person that God created me to be. I, I know that this past season has provided a lot of questions for those who have partnered with God who have stayed faithful in the gap, I hope you're staying faithful in the gap, who have remained in commune with him in conjunction with his ways, um, who have 
been willing to kneel before the Lord and say, during this troubling time, I'm not going to slough off. I'm not going to take a, a breather here where I'm not going to do anything for a while. I'm going to stay constant whether anybody's around, whether nobody's around. You're around and, and I'm with you. Things have happened. Maybe your family has been touched. Maybe you've been touched. Maybe there have been physical attacks that have come against you. I'm not saying God's caused them, but in this season, the lesson from Job is that you are standing out because you're serving God. And maybe not, it's not standing out like the Pharisees. That's the kind of thing that most churches want to stand out. Oh, look at us. You go to a, you go to a pastor's meeting. How many people are you running now? Oh, wow, really? How much money do you make? What kind of car are you driving? You know, are you doing this? Oh, and then you go home and you tell your, your wife or your husband, oh man, look what they have. We don't have that. Look what they have. We need to ask for more. We need to do this. And we're going to do whatever we can so we can grow to big numbers. That's what people judge the success of a ministry on. Well, that's been shot to into oblivion over this past year. I don't know what some of those folks are doing. They haven't anything to boast about. But really, our boast is in the Lord. And our boast is in bringing glory to Him. And that should happen all the time. So let's just reflect on just these first couple chapters here. See if they apply to us. I, I labeled this integrity because can it be said of me? Dare I say, can it be said of you that you, by the grace and mercy of God, have remained not only faithful, but consistent throughout all this time? You know, the enemy wants to destroy you. Yeah, you, you, you are marked in the spirit realm as one who stands before God. And the world doesn't like you. In fact, one of the anomalies of this past year has been how the, the, the voices of this world have tried to malign Christians. We're called everything that you can imagine and then you have some who've gone over in the progressive camp who try to shame you into becoming something that God didn't call you to be are you willing to be Job like and willing to to say not 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 like somebody who's just suffering for Jesus you know I don't like those types of individuals who who just are always wearing a badge of, oh, it's just, you know, it's just the price of following the Lord. It's like that old Billy Joe, Billy Joel song. You rather laugh with the sinners and cry with the saints. Uh, we need to pray for that guy. He's he's blessed above everything, but most of his music is maligning Christianity, a good portion of it. And I like his songs. 
So I'm not one of those old fogies who said, we need a lot more about Jesus and a lot less rock and roll. I'm not saying that. I grew up with that. But then again, I see what things are and I say, well, man, you, you, you're just spewing bitterness in some way. And I've never liked people who just wear their badge of being rejected and, 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 you know, look at what I've had to suffer for Jesus. Bless his holy name. You know, you know, even the principle of fasting, when you fast, you adorn yourself. You don't walk around all mopey-faced so that people think how spiritual you are. Now, yes, there are times that we as Saints Network or we as a, a, a church here will say we're fasting together. But we do that as under the Lord. We do that so that we can say, Lord, take away things in me that keep me from being able to function in you. Correct iniquity in me so that I can move more adequately in righteousness and in pursuit of your purpose. So the Bible doesn't say, you know, don't let anybody know that you're fasting because if, if that was the case, then how did the nation fast? It'd be a little difficult, you know. You'd have to do sign mo hand motions, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Hey, we're supposed to be fasting. Don't tell anybody I told you. It's about don't wear it as a badge of honor. And don't walk around so the people would say, oh, like the Pharisee, I fast this many times a week. And so, you know, I've never, I've never wanted that to be a Job-like thing, something that is a thing I'm proud of. It's, it's a thing that we are, that we're willing to stand and be happy in the Lord and rejoice in the Lord. Even though people in the religious world, even though people in the media, in the people in more progressive ideologies don't like it. That's the first lesson. That was his name, Job. The enemy did not like Job standing faithfully where God planted him. He did not like that gap stance, which was in obedience to God. And he furthermore did not like the benefits of that, which is blessing. And there was a modicum of protection, but blessing was the onus of standing in the gap because it's welcoming the plan of God and it's restoring function and that's blessing. You know, I mentioned that person in Paris France got it right that time um, and you know you see the people functioning again and it's it's a blessing Satan also didn't like that point of Job partnering with the ways of God ongoingly and kneeling before God to receive assignment to receive purpose uh, uh, an assignment of purpose and a promotion in that in that vein. And Job maintained his integrity, which meant that even though the enemy didn't like him, even though things were happening against him, even though his own wife mocked that positional 
relationship with God and Job's integrity. Job remained constant. This is what we as saints must be. You know, we talked to some degree on Sunday and yesterday in my monologue on Saints Radio about those things that are unshakable for the saints. And we talked about how being a son, uh, recognizing that factor and being it, not just a child, but a trusted son, being a saint, praying in diversities of tongues, being on your face before God, studying the word, being willing to stay current with the pneumatikos meat that God is giving. Those are constants. Those are constants. Now you could say, well, my relationship, my communion with God. Well, what are you doing when you're laying in your face? Soaking, sleeping, resting. For me, that is a commitment to the kingdom of God coming and to listen and to hear, put my ear to the ground, to ear the ground for what the Spirit is saying. And when I pray in the Spirit, I'm caught up into the throne. I am, I am talking the mysteries of God. That is relationship. So I'm not eradicating that. To me, arguably, you, if your spirit is praying, that is commune with God. So is, is that the measure of your integrity? See, I would hope that your integrity doesn't just mean that you don't cheat somebody. I would hope that your integrity doesn't mean that you have stopped knocking over the piggly wiggly. I would hope that your integrity doesn't just mean that you don't beat your kids. Those would have to be, to me, somebody that is walking uprightly and fearing God and turning away from Ra. You know, there are people who are good people who who stay away from those measures of sin who may not really be fulfilling this issue of integrity in the vein that God is speaking about it. Why would this unique Hebrew word only be used in Job and then once in that passage in Proverbs? Because integrity is not based upon what you do as an upright citizen or what you do when everybody, you know, even I would say this, that this meaning of this term integrity has more to do with your ongoing partnership with God that remains constant no matter what's going on. Partnership with God rather than just your actions. Now, yeah, we do need to be faithful. We can't, we can't be one thing, as I mentioned earlier, one thing one place and something else somewhere else. But that's not the full measure of integrity. It's good to the last drop. And it's, it has to do with the purity of your partnership and your, your perseverance and your purpose in God. 
no matter what's going on. That the last expression of your endurance is still pure in that, in that commitment to God. So this is really a, a continuing word about being a saint who has evaluated how have I done. This is kind of like things are opening now. We're, I'm already making plans to travel. We're making plans to welcome uh, 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 an on-site gathering here in September. We did not block those things because of fear. We did it out of the abundance of respect for what everybody <clears throat> feels. And we also did it because God said to do it. And we emphasized, take a stand where you are. Be what you're called to be where you are. Let God develop you. Let God perfect you. This is kind of like a, it was kind of like a sabbatical year. I know in the past here, I joke about this. People were sabbaticaled, and it was more of a discipline. And that's not what a sabbatical is supposed to be any more than the Sabbath is supposed to be that. We reflect on what God has done. We embrace him. We look forward to what's coming. And if anything, this past year has tested us. It has tested, just as it did with Job, the place where you're standing. Are you being faithful in that gap to be and to do what God has asked you to be and to do? Are you willing to be known as a person who will follow God no matter what people think? Are you willing to remain in commune with Him and to partner with His ways and to be willing to to accept that duty and responsibility that Barak entails? And are you willing to do all those things consistently and to be consistently as a person of integrity what you're supposed to be before God to the last drop, to the last moment? I pray that would be what all of us are. Now again, some of you aren't used to Papa Ron speaking in this way because I'm, I try to smile and I, I try to say it's going to be okay. And, and, you know, I don't really, as a pastor, nail people in an evangelistic way. I think we've missed that to some degree. Um, you need that middle group of the mighty men who keep people in the ranks, in line. The generals shouldn't be walking through the barracks trying to determine whether you've made your, your bed right, whether your weapons are shined and cleaned, whether your boots are polished. That's not, that's not the leader's job. That's the sergeant's job. <laughs> and we, I think we've missed that to some degree, but maybe that's a topic for another day. But I'm telling you right now, I'm not saying these things because I hate you or some of you I feel have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. I'm saying that we need to reflect as we emerge from this season and say, 
as David did in Psalm 51. Search me, O God. Try my ways. See if there be any wicked way in me. Have I been what you have called me to be? And this is not a woe is me. This is not, you know, I have a confessional to make. You go before the Lord. I believe the best in you. Only you really know if you have been a person of this kind of integrity. Oh, it's been a tough time. I'm not saying that that we all slip and fall. We all make mistakes. The only one who didn't was Jesus. And that is one of the greatest miracles that has ever occurred. We've all had issues. But it's not about whether you fall. It's about who you are when you fall and whether you get back up. Whether you just fall and lay there and languish, that's not acceptable. So we need to go before the Lord and say, Father, I want to be pure before you and I want to be consistent. I want to apply all these things that you cherished about Job. Is there something that I need to submit to you that has robbed me of consistency or has brought an unjust balance or, or has made me not be pure? I don't want to be impure. I want to be what you want me to be. No matter what's going on, no matter whether I have the world at my disposal or whether it's just my house. Am I that person of integrity? God help us all to be that. And you know why? Because we have a job to do. We are pers- persons of integrity in, in-, in eternity. We've been born into the greatest time in history. We have been trusted by God to see the unfolding unfolding of prophetic promise right before our eyes. It is imperative that we as saints be willing to stand and be faithful and to be a person of integrity and to partner with the ways of God. To not be Jezebel-like, but to be somebody who, who is consistent, whether we're by ourselves, nobody else around, or whether we're in the company of the saints. That's our message. And it's because we love God. We want to see His purpose. We want to see what he wants. We want to see the restoration of his eternal will being done. For which Satan, the one who opposes, the one who accuses, he doesn't want that. God is with you. And I'm very thankful to have such a wonderful family of saints. I'm thankful for the way you've stood. I'm thankful for the way God has watched over me and my household. Not everything happened the way 
I would want it to happen. We've we've uh, undergone some some really trying times, but yet God has not only been faithful and with us, but we've overcome and been made better through the process. That's what God wants for all of us. That's what he wants for you. But our objective is to serve the one who gave his life for us and to serve with him and to fulfill the will of our Father just as Jesus did. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for the calling of being a saint. And I thank you for your goodness. I release your blessing to all of the saints. I sense your presence so wonderfully right now. And I, I ask that you, and you're the only one who could do this, Father, would extend your presence through my voice as a touch point to whoever is hearing this right now. May your presence, your love, your kindness fill the place where they're hearing this. And may they enjoy a commune with you that you've longed to have with them. They're not here knocking at the door. Let them open that door right now and let them know the things that you've wanted to tell them. And maybe we have ears to hear. And may we not just be hearers only, but doers of that word. I speak blessing. There are those in, 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 in our network, those who are hearing this, who need healing in their body. I release the power of God to set you free right now. If there are those that need the favor of the Lord or, or some measure of intervention, whatever is needed right now, Father, I ask that you would release that gift to them but the most important gift is your presence and your love and that purpose that you've called us as saints to so I speak blessing and I pray that we will be each of us mobilized and ready prepared to go forth into this harvest field for the night does come when no man can work let us go forth with you at the head that breaker anointing for those who have stood in the gap with our Lord at the head. What a, what a delightful prospect. We thank you for it. And we ask all of these things in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, thank you. We appreciate being able to share this time with you today. And until our next opportunity to speak to you or speak with you or be with you, may God bless you and goodbye.